Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Alrighty, Jamie Shanks, welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. How are you, my friend? Thank you so much, Darren, for having me. Man, it's uh, where you are right now. I believe it's Tuesday afternoon on the other side of the planet. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm here at my home office in Toronto, Canada. Nice. Well, welcome to Wednesday morning here in Victoria, Australia. <laughs> so great to have you on the podcast. You and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, and it's a really, it was a really interesting conversation. And love to delve into all things sales uh, and particularly sales, uh, social selling today. But before we get into all that really interesting stuff, just for the listeners, I'd love for you to just give a bit of a background on what's the story? What's what's Jamie's story and uh, what led you to here? Well, I was in sales basically after living in Australia. So I used to live in Adelaide, Australia for a few years, lived on Henley Beach came back to Canada. The only sales job I could get was 100% commission sales job in commercial real estate. Worked in commercial real estate for a bunch of years and a customer of mine plucked me into SaaS software, software as a service. Yep. I was the third employee, grew up a SaaS software company from infancy to profitability. Uh, got it to $3 million ARR. I decided to leave and start my own consulting company teaching inside sales best practices, two years of flipping and flopping and failing, um, led me to pioneering and inventing a term, which we call social selling. I built the world's first uh, training curriculum on the topic. My ambitions were no bigger than training local Toronto companies, but I was fortunate to backflip my way into the global enterprise and uh, within a year, we had won ADP, Oracle, Thomson Reuters. Within five years, I built a $3 million global sales training company scaling around the world and um, ultimately trained five to 600 global uh, customers around the world. And that led us to then developing a managed service slash SaaS software company broken out of social selling to which sellers were asking us to to do for them what we were teaching. So we developed a signal intelligence monitoring service where we're mining intelligence uh, globally for relationship signals out of tools like LinkedIn. Awesome. And that's that's pipeline uh, signals. That's pipeline signals. So I have two companies, Sales for Life, the global sales yeah. training company, and our new SaaS software company, Pipeline Signals. It's a managed service slash SaaS software. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, I'd love to. Um, I'd love to delve into the social selling stuff. And you, you mentioned that you invented it. Um, what was it? Was there something that you saw in the marketplace, or there were specific challenges that you were facing that said, you know what, there has to be a better way here. We can't. We can't continue to do the same old thing that salespeople have been doing for literally decades and expect different results. So, was there a specific catalyst? for you to say, hey, there is a better way and I'm going to invent it. Yeah, the catalyst was me basically going bankrupt. So long wow. of the short is um, 
I was consulting inside sales best practices. And at that time in 2010 and 11, there was an emerging trend called sales 2.0, which was moving field reps into inside sales models. And then having more of a high velocity model of cold calling, emailing, and so forth. Nobody was using social media for business development at that time. Long and the short, my business was failing and I needed to generate revenue for myself. And so I would sit in my spare bedroom at three in the morning, just staring at the wall, staring at my computer, trying to come up with something different. And for whatever reason, I would have my laptop open and LinkedIn would be there. Now, LinkedIn at the time was a recruiting tool, mm. but I would reverse engineer in my mind how I was booking meetings through the telephone or email. And I would look at this tool and recognize that it had the same left and right brain, left brain being data and intelligence, the right brain being uh, engagement. It had both of these inside this one platform. What if I used it in lieu of the telephone or email? I mm. used the same sort of processes. And then um, I was lucky enough after identifying some tips, tricks, and tactics, I had won a one customer in Toronto, Canada. And then I developed a model in which you would take a sheet of paper, put the logo of every one of your happy new customers in the center of that sheet of paper, draw a circle around it and reverse engineer it like a spider web and ask yourself, who cares about that story? And emulating or uh, radiating out of that logo would be people who leave that company to join a new one, people who are uh, you know, competitors, people who are connected to people that work there. And that was that relationship mapping that I invented this thing called the sphere of influence, mm -hmm. which was the catalyst to social selling, using your sphere of influence to drive business development. So that's where it kind of all came from. Wow. And the evolution of that, um, how long did it take to, to, I mean, you mentioned you got one, you want one customer out of that. How long did it take to really ramp up to say, hmm, I've got something here that is uh, fundamentally, when you look at it, changing the whole sales and certainly the business to business sales landscape. Yeah, it was, uh, I actually wrote about it in one of my books. It was five, five accounts and you know, five to 10 accounts, and it was under one year. Essentially, I took that company uh, in September of 2012. That company's called Vision Critical. They're in the market research space. Drew a circle around them, asked myself who cared. Radiating from there was the their competitors. Their competitors, yep. another market research company in Los Angeles. That company led me to a telecom company called Exo Communications to then another one called Tata Communications that led me to Oracle. So the story is that within one year, I went from a free deal, a small free deal in Toronto to the world's largest social selling deployment, 23,000 sellers over a five-year time horizon. That was just from reverse engineering who knows who hmm. and who's connected to who. So it was quite rapid. Um, so we went from zero to 3 million bucks pretty quick. Wow. And when you look at that and you hear that story, you think, wow, that is, and I, I don't want to be uh, disparaging here, but it's, it, it doesn't sound like rocket science. It sounds logical. 
and it, it sounds common rocket. sense, but it's so if I came up with it, it's not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you look at that, and, and I look at my career around sales and, and 20 years in the sales game and running sales teams and think, well, you know, we were doing bits and pieces of the social selling stuff, but we were still pretty much following the old formula. And I've got to say, <laughs> there are people today still doing exactly the same thing. The vast majority of, of sellers are wondering why we're not getting the results. Yeah. And, and so what I came to recognize, and it took a while to figure it out. My original training curriculum was a, a hodgepodge of tips, tricks, and tactics. And slowly but surely, it started to turn into a process map. And then it started to veer into inbound versus outbound. There's two different sales motions. And we built curriculum by role, by sales motion, and now even by geography and platform. We're in you know, 10 or 12 different languages scaled around the world. But it, it needed to be codified into a process that was not any different than the way a seller works today. So the outbound account-based program is called SPEAR, which is yep. an acronym that stands for select an account, plan it, engage it, um, oh my God, I almost forgot, activate <laughs> accounts, and then, re then reprioritize your total addressable market. It's the end of the day for me. So <laughs> this process, I'm not asking a seller to do a process different than what they're doing today. What I'm asking them to do is to digitize the, uh, the left and right brain motion that happens at each one of those stages. And that yeah. was a big foundational uh, shift that, that made us scale globally was there were social sellers that were trying to come up with these, all these things for people to do that were outside of what a natural sales process looked like. Yeah. We said to ourselves, that's insane. You'll never get sellers to do it. Have them execute as they would against their accounts, but just to take analog and turn it into digital. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at that, and I'm, I'm going to assume that being social, LinkedIn would probably be one of the core um, platforms would be in the center of that, given that you know, where all the business to business people hang out. Um, how, do, how do you feel when you look at salespeople today who are not following your system, who are using things like LinkedIn and completely butchering it? Now, I know you've got a, a bucket load of um, followers. I've got a, a lot of followers as well. And I'm sure you're getting the, the obligatory connection request followed by a, a sell opportunity straight away. Right. Um, how frustrating is it when you know there's a better way and yet people out there are still trying to almost force feed um, or retrofit their own sales process and think that social selling is, let's just jump on LinkedIn and send a couple of spam messages. For years, it did frustrate me. And it also would frustrate me when they were students of ours. You know, we've trained a quarter million sellers around the world and it would be students of ours that would make these mistakes. But here's what I've come to recognize. It's called Pareto's law for a reason. 20% <laughs> of sellers are going to create 80% of impact. And the reason this is important, email had been around for 10 years before LinkedIn was invented. Like predominantly, if you think of email being the year 2000 till now. Yeah. The telephone has been around for 70 to 80 years before that. Yet the same mistakes are being made at the same 
percentage law, Pareto's law, using those mediums. So what I've come to recognize as I get older, I can't change everyone, nor can training change everyone. I used to believe that what it does at scale, what training does incredible at scale is increase the yield per seller as an aggregate average in a sales organization. And that's why we've worked predominantly with mid-market and enterprise. So larger the company, the bigger the impact. But you will not have 100% adoption. You will not yeah. fix every seller. You will have A players, B players, and C players forever. And so I've come to recognize it as just part of performance within sales. Mm. Yeah. It's just, and it's just the thing, because even, even with the best opportunities in the best marketplace, with the best market conditions, you're still going to have people who are complaining Jamie, you're not giving me the leads. My leads are crap. <laughs> and think of it as an analogy in sports, right? Um, if uh, You're an Aussie. So let's use, uh, let me turn off my, my heater here for a second. No let's use, let's use, yeah, heater. It is, I know. It is, it is Canada after all. <laughs> um, let's use footy as your analogy, right? Like you start playing at the tertiary level, at the school level, and then you go to the college or university level. So everybody gets years and years of coaching, but there becomes this massive divergent in skill, even mm. though we've all been coached the same way. Um, and it's because there are those that just latch on to the learning and apply it and practice it more often or whatever they're doing. Yeah, there's, there's a reason why there's pros and then there's and these and these pros identify what the fundamentals are that will move the, move the dial, and they focus in relentlessly on that to the exclusion of almost everything else, yeah. which is which is like everything, whether it's in footy, um, ice hockey. There you go. There's a Canadian thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, is, there are. You you mentioned something really important, and so I'm a big believer. The most important part of business development and prospecting is the objective decisions that happen in account selection and account prioritization. The very beginning stages to prospecting is which account should I focus in on today versus tomorrow or account A versus account B. That single choice or series of choices completely dictate what happens over the next 90, 180 days, 365 days. You choose the wrong accounts, mm. you're spinning your wheels for a year. Yeah. Anyways, I think that those fundamentals, the best, the pros, the world class have figured out how to do things like account selection, prioritization and segmentation better, faster, cheaper than the average seller. And yeah. so they put themselves, they do a few things exponentially better to put themselves so much further ahead over compounding time. Yeah. Uh, that. So it's not about being amazing at everything. <clears throat> There's a couple key ingredients that they are 10 times better than others. And it's, um, as you were talking there, I was thinking about a story I heard about Tiger Woods and how he would religiously practice certain shots mm -hmm. and not necessarily practice other shots because he knew that those shots that he was practicing that he was really good at, they were his money shots. And he would be get, he'd get so good at those shots that he probably wouldn't need the shots that weren't so good. So he knew where to focus his attention, which would get the biggest return. 
I'm a garbage golfer, and my father-in-law, who's big into the sport, would often tout <laughs> so the drive makes up it's I think it's eleven percent or less than eleven percent of the total golf game. Putting makes up fifty percent of the game. Yet we all buy buckets of balls to stand at the driving range and smash and focus on the eleven percent rather it. than spending hours like drive ten balls into the woods uh, at the driving range and then spend two hours practicing putting especially you know five feet in where a lot of people triple putt because they miss those yep because they're, they're, they're shaking because they're they're, they're they're it's not it's rare that i get to a birdie opportunity and oh i don't hope i don't miss it what i do i set it five minutes past yes, on putting and you will save yourself yeah yeah absolutely so it's a really great analogy because um there are so many i, I think there are so many high potential sales people and sales leaders out there that are simply they either don't have the formula or they're focusing on the 11%. They're trying to hit the balls 300 meters down the fairway rather than thinking about if I just tinkered and improved my finishing game, my closing game, my opportunity capture game, then everything would, everything would change. It's uh, it's just so, so frustrating. <laughs> so, as you look at the landscape today, then um, oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Actually, the in in terms of the organisations and the people within the organisations, albeit let's take the Pareto rule and we know that plays out for the for the average, I guess, mid tier performing salesperson when they actually grab hold of and really understand the concept of social selling and the spear methodology. What have you seen in terms of their ability to uh, fast track the results? What what sort of tangible results can you then put back to? Well, if it wasn't for us implementing this training for them, they wouldn't have got that result. So just really yeah, curious for the leaders, what sort of difference that makes. We've been measuring it for years. It's actually very quantifiable. At an aggregate level across an organization, it's a 20% uplift in pipeline creation and ultimately, as long as their conversion rates stay the same, 20% over the course of give or take, you know, six to 12 months of not only pipeline creation, but revenue creation. And it's important to think of its uh, influence and attribution, right? Social selling is typically one of multiple initiatives being run inside a business. Yeah. But uh, those initiatives and investments that are being put forward, that's we always strive for that 20% benchmark. And the reason it's quantifiable in my company, Sales for Life, to become certified, a seller actually has to do a case study. They actually have 30 days to pick an account. So they go through Spirit. They select it, plan it, engage it, activate it, create a real life opportunity, and then defend it in a case study akin to, in Australia, you call it Dragon's Den. In Canada, we call it Dragon's Den. In America, yep. they call it Shark's Tank. You have to make a video to defend how that opportunity was created. And then as sellers, they come together and they actually have a bit of a Shark's Tank or Dragon's Den experience where the best performing opportunities are defended against their own peer group. So what it is forcing uh, the practice to actually happen, the application to happen. And so then we can measure what happened to the very accounts that were being brought forward. Love it. So then 
as a sales leader and certainly as an organization looking at um, maybe changing or tinkering the sales methodology they currently have, they've got tangible results from other organizations that they can they can plug into. And yeah, it's almost we, like proof of concept. We plug into everything, whether it's Miller Hyman or force management, it doesn't matter the methodology yeah. because social selling isn't a hard codified methodology. What it is, is a series of principles um, that are brought forward specifically where we focus our, you know, and, and this is why also we develop pipeline signals. We focus on pipeline creation, either at the net new logo side or upselling and cross-selling with an existing customer. So yeah. we're really focused in on do these steps to create the pipeline, getting your sales qualified lead in place, then use your other methodologies to bring it from SQL to close. Yeah. And you mentioned the interesting thing before in terms of prospecting, really focusing on, you've got to focus in on the right, the right account to target first and foremost. Um, based on the implementation of this, what have you seen in terms of uh, turnaround times or, or how, I, how do I say this, uh, prospecting time? Because I know in the old days, as a salesperson, you'd be literally given, hey, here's the white pages, here's the yellow pages, Go, go nuts, right? And these are the number of calls you've got to, got to make. We expect you to have a certain number of uh, conversion conversations and this is your sales target. How has the social selling, um, I guess, movement that you've created fast-tracked the sales process? Now, you mentioned before different methodologies and we'll keep the methodologies to the side, but I'm thinking of the salesperson right now and the sales leader who perhaps is stuck a little bit in... Uh, early 2000s in terms of the way their company operates and their old school method methodologies, and they still have targets that are going to continue to increase. Yep. By embracing social selling, how quickly can we ramp up the whole process so we can almost accelerate identification of accounts, getting identified to the talk to the right people, fast track the, the sales process and really start to build momentum? How do you, and, and it leads to another question is, what do you see the future? And we'll jump into then the, I guess, the pipeline signals method. Well, and that actually will come into kind of yeah. my response. Yeah, it's the, um, what? Speed to execution becomes immediate because we ask them to rethink, and let's work together on this. We ask them to rethink the foundation of account selection and prioritization. So, I'll ask a rhetorical question, but do you believe that some of the fastest and easiest doors to open would be accounts where you had a past customer, an advocate working with you for years in company ABC, they up and they leave and they go into another company that meets your ideal customer profile or is on your named account list. Would you want to call them? And Absolutely. do you think they're faster than randomly calling through the phone book? That was the, the framework to which we developed pipeline signals was we were teaching tens and tens of thousands of sellers to do this, but sellers, because of time management skills, laziness, whatever it is, they would say, and also it's a, a bit of a purview into the global total adjustable market of a company, you know, seller in Brisbane has no idea what customers you have in Perth, let alone, you know, Durban or London, England. So yeah. the concept was what we will do is we will take every customer of yours and every prospect of yours and monitor it 
for the compelling events, the relationship signals that drive doors to be opened. And we will reverse engineer all that data and feed it to you in your CRM so that you know if a customer leaves your happy advocate customer account and goes into a prospect, we'll flag it for you, send it to your sellers. And now rather than the seller calling A through Z in the phone book, they're now calling, they should be still executing at the same velocity, the same number of accounts, but yeah. they're reprioritizing the accounts that they're calling. They're calling past customers, John, I know you used to work at company ABC. Mm -hmm. Now you're at company DEF. Let's talk about the initiative you used to run and what is your playbook for the next first hundred days on the job? And the reason this play works is because, and this is touted statistic, whether it's true or not, that an executive will spend up to 70% of the remitted budget They'll allocate that budget, either mentally or physically deploy it within the first hundred days on job because they need to make an impact. So we're getting our sellers in front of every job change, every promotion, every past customer right away. That's the impact that it makes. Wow. And that uh, that would be a huge, um, huge effort in terms of trawling data in the in the marketplace to be able to funnel <laughs> yeah. that in. Yeah, and the, here, here's, we'll come back to the seller problem. Um, what was happening, and we'll use Australia as our baseline. So a seller uh, lives in Melbourne and is given Victoria as a geographic territory to service. Another seller works South Australia in Adelaide. Well, somebody leaves a customer in Melbourne and they, Melbourne, as I remember I tried to pronounce it, but Melbourne, and they would go and they would land in Adelaide. When they get there, seller in Melbourne, it left their total addressable market, their set of accounts, that key yep. contact. He or she doesn't care anymore. Seller in Adelaide decided to not track all of their customers on a daily basis. Lead goes in, job change happens, misses it. You have complete kinks in the armor. Mm -hmm. And now as from a revenue operation standpoint, you're not having a bird's eye view of what is the total addressable market and compelling events in Australia. So if you back up and look at it from the perspective of an investor or a chief revenue officer, or revenue ops, wouldn't you want to have every piece of intelligence at your fingertips at the point of need? And that's, and you put it into Salesforce or any CRM. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the concept. And, and it was sellers missing these opportunities were driving us nuts. We would yeah. teach them to do it. And they would say, well, there's no leads. And then we would do a search for them. And say, what are you talking about? It's right in front of your face. They just weren't picking it up. Well, because many of them are probably expecting them to be fed. <laughs> to be yeah, fed exactly. to them. <laughs> and, and they would ask all the time, just feed me the intelligence. Yeah. Oh, it reminds me of a, of a salesperson I had in my team many years ago. He was an old school salesperson and, and that's his exact methodology. In fact, I remember sitting down with him doing a review and he was, he was complaining that I wasn't giving him enough leads because his whole remit was, hey, you don't understand. I've been doing this for 35 years. The way I operate is you give me the leads. I walk in and have coffee or buy lunches and sign deals. That's what I do. I'm a closer. Really? Well, welcome to... 
uh, I think it was 2004 at the time. Welcome yeah. to 2004. <laughs> Times have changed. Yeah. But there are still people like that. And, and, and listen, having the ability to, from, I believe that um, there are a lot of sellers that believe that they earn their commission. They, they earn their value from discovery call to close. So they're great at the discovery process, the qualification process. They're great at building consensus, delivering proposals, winning deals, ultimately. But if you want to be great, if you can control your own destiny and actually be able to create pipeline yourself, yeah, those sellers are so immensely valuable because the seller who rely, because if you're a seller that relies on others to provide that for you, you're a very expensive resource doing nothing until Absolutely. those leads. Absolutely. And that's and that's an interesting point because a lot of people uh, talk about the fact that, oh, we need a very specific, highly qualified salesperson who must have specific expertise in this industry or in this product. Otherwise, we won't even talk to them. If you know, if you if you've got a salesperson who knows how to uh, identify accounts, knows how to ask the right questions, knows how to identify and prospect and generate the leads and, and so forth. You can put them in any industry and they'll totally. learn the stuff they need to learn. Product knowledge is learn and unless you're selling like you know rocket devices, like <laughs> there I never understood that. Teaching people how a product or a solution works, a widget, is far less complicated than teaching empathy and emotion and connection all the things that the soft skills of sales are wildly transferable um but the, the, so many people want to focus on that product knowledge do you know how a erp works i've been in you know from sales i worked on the stock exchange commercial real estate SaaS software consulting yeah. you can learn it all uh yeah I'm sitting there chuckling because I, I often run programs on the, and my my expertise when it comes to the the facilitation side of what I do is is this is exactly that the soft skills teaching people how to be emotionally intelligent how to have a conversation how to listen how to ask great questions all that sort of stuff it's not and they say can you teach us about this technology and I've got no idea about technology and as you found out this morning trying to get onto Zoom even my Zoom password changes. <laughs> Okay, so back to our sports analogy. It's like trying to teach somebody having vision. Okay, so vi uh, so in two sports, vision is critical. Vision in hockey, there's an old saying from Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player ever. People would say, how did you know what you were doing? He's like, because I didn't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck was going. And the same with uh, American football. American football is a game of seeing beyond the mess of players right in front of you, having vision to the next 10 yards in front of you. You can't, I don't know how you could possibly teach vision. And it's the same as a soft skill. It's like teaching empathy. I don't yeah. know how you teach that. But. <laughs> well, one is to um, take your eyes off yourself and maybe put it on somebody else and don't think you're the most important person in the room. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a bit of a, a bit of a, a throwaway line because a lot of salespeople 
Um, and if you're listening to this, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm not talking about you specifically. A lot of salespeople, unfortunately, lack empathy, right? Because many salespeople, rightly or wrongly, are conditioned to make it all about themselves because there's got so much pressure on a hit a number. But here's the thing, if, if salespeople and sales leaders can develop those soft skills, not only is it a phenomenal skill set to have, which is going to pay dividends for their existing team, they're going to lift an entire industry and fundamentally change the way that selling is actually perceived in the marketplace. I like that. That's, that's really important because you can take industries that have, I'll give you an example of one. So uh, we were approached by a data or like a list selling company a couple of weeks ago. And they had the list of every account and contact that uses any software that is a good fit for us. So I could, you take any uh, buying intent software or LinkedIn sales navigator. They have the list of all the LinkedIn sales navigator customers in the world. Now, primarily buying from list building companies is like buying you know, air duct cleaning. It's just like you want to pull your hair out, worst buying experience, or like use car sales. This actually was pretty good. Okay. You know, jumped on a Zoom call. They walked me through the process. They educated where they got the data. They're not pushy. It was like, it was very collaborative. And it opened my eyes to, we just bought a list of thousands of accounts. It'll help with prospecting. But yeah, then I'll yeah. take adjacent technology. If this goes well and it's, it's clean data, then I'll move to the next software technology that is a complement to pipeline signals, and I will acquire more or less. Mm. It, for 10 years, I would never have done this. And this was the first seller that's opened my eyes to this market is not 100% shady. Yeah, good. And all it takes, and that's the interesting thing, all it takes is one person. Because how many how many people do you talk to out there in the marketplace who are not in sales but deal with salespeople? And when you ask them about their perception of sales, they pretty much have the same sort of response. Oh, yeah. When I'm at parties, I'm an entrepreneur, not in sales. <laughs> <laughs> but sales, we need to understand that sales is, is um, everybody's in sales first and foremost. But sales is really, when you think about it, it's I, I consider sales to be the ultimate form of service. So when you think about it, you're there to solve problems and you're doing them a disservice if having, a, having identified a problem, if you, had, if you don't provide them with a solution or at least an opportunity to review a solution, then you're doing them a disservice. So be of service. I'm, I'm in sales. I have four stakeholders. So you, I've got, obviously, you've got your customer, your prospect and customer. I have investors. I have current employees and I have future candidates. I'm constantly selling all day long. Yeah. I sell yeah. dreams to investors and existing employees. And we just hired somebody today in customer success. It was dream selling, right? So brilliant. Love it. Love it. So, Jamie, uh, with pipeline signals, obviously there's been an involvement since inventing social social selling and it's now evolved into a, a SaaS platform. How do you how do you view the future of sales? And it might be a big question, right? And it's a it's an open it's an open question. Um, with the evolution of what we've seen happen in sales over the last twenty years, what what do you think the future holds for selling? And uh, importantly, what's potentially the next evolution of social selling, if there is one? 
So I have a, a unique lens of looking at sales from the lens of an, a founder, operator, and entrepreneur. So everything in everything in business is about deployment of capital. And one of the, the things that I've noticed as technology's job is to aid to not only create more yield per seller, but is to help optimize the return of particular sellers and investment. So one of the, the ways that I look at the future of sales, I talk about this in our training programs that there's $5 an hour tasks and $500 an hour value creators. When you look at sellers, you're paying whatever salary, let's say in Australia, 100,000 US or 100,000 Australian dollars to create outcomes in the market. Yeah. The, the, the actions and activities that are required that highly influence those outcomes, unfortunately, they're not all created equal. And some of them can be deemed as a misalignment between what you're paying a person to do and what they're doing. Those can be either taken away by technology, taken away by managed services. So a lot of companies for the last 20 years have figured out what they're the best at. Companies do this and they offshore or they outsource tasks or functions that are not core to their business. I believe that sales is slowly starting to discover. Let's take an average account executive that there are functions and things that an account executive does that are not worth their time. And if you took them off their plate, they would buy back their time to deploy that time into more productive resourcing, creation of more opportunities, talking to more customers and so forth. So technologies such as CRMs and sales intelligence and proposal making software, software and or services will be a growing concern of CFOs, chief revenue officers, who say, I've got these very expensive resources and I need to look at every moment of their time to think, how do I maximize the customer experience or their time with prospects and, and buy back and take away from them things that are just not val as valuable as that time could be spent elsewhere, opportunity cost. That whole premise, I'm a huge believer of. This is the whole idea around pipeline signals is, to have a hundred thousand Australian dollar account executive mining LinkedIn for an hour a day is wildly inefficient time management. Yeah. And at scale over a hundred sellers or a thousand sellers, it becomes like astronomically expensive. And so I believe that technology and services are going to play a huge part into getting sellers to be laser focused. So that was a long winded way of, I believe that's the future of sales. That's where artificial intelligence and machine learning will come in. Yeah. Uh, it will never replace a seller. A comp complex human to human sales will always exist, but there will be many things taken off the plate of sellers to, uh, to make them more productive. It's a really interesting point you just made there in terms of salespeople not being replaced because depending on who you listen to out the marketplace, a lot of a lot of so-called experts are predicting the death of the salesperson. Almost that there'll be a lot of salespeople that will be redeployed into other areas of business and replaced with things like artificial intelligence, right? Because customers are more 
um, more educated today. There's a lot more self-service that's being promoted with, within organisations in terms of interactions with organisations. Uh, but I share your view is that I think you still need to have, and this comes back to the soft skills conversation, people still want to do business with people. And so there's this human connection that we that we continue to crave for because we are social creatures. Uh, but I think you're, you're spot on in that the some of the tasks that salespeople are expected to do today are still stuck in 1985, right? And I remember back when I was running sales teams here in Australia, the sales executive and to some degree the sales leader was seen as the base of the funnel. So if we didn't know who to give this uh, opportunity to or this responsibility to or this task to, hmm, not sure. I'll just give it to the account executive. They'll work it out. So they became the bottom of the funnel. So I catch all. And any wonder there was so much pressure, so much stress for them trying to do everything and continue to to make progress towards achieving in what many people say is an overinflated target. But that's just the normal sales response. And there's always going to be evolution. If, if, Two years ago, you would have never said that the vast majority of global field sellers, so sellers who physically planes, trains, and automobiles, got in a vehicle, went and visited the customer. It's not that they got wiped out. Millions of these field sellers didn't get wiped out. It Hmm. was just, again, it's always important to look at things from a CFO, chief revenue officer, CEO's perspective. It's a redeployment of capital. Like we're doing right now, we are doing Zoom 10,000 miles away from each other. And we both know that you could uh, attract uh, and win a $100,000 deal or even a million dollar deal over Zoom. Yeah. And so you, I mean, you and I talked about this. You live outside of Melbourne, I think like in the forest, something somewhere beautiful. I lived at my cottage during COVID for two years on a lake. There wasn't 10 people within 10 miles. And the important thing is that we can, we were wildly productive because we could talk to now eight companies a day rather than two companies a day when we were driving around. So it's the same amount of sellers just redeployed. The field field sellers became really talented inside sellers. That's kind of what happened. And AI will just alter how sales. It is, I don't think that we're going to lose millions of sellers. It's a redeployment. Maybe sellers will move into sales engineering or customer success. Or yeah, but that's all still selling. Yeah, and one thing is for absolute certain that selling ain't going anywhere. It's still there. Still needs to be a transaction. There still needs to be a relationship, um, and there still needs to be somebody who can ask questions and somebody who can provide answers to those questions. Revenue, arguably outside of product innovation, is the most important piece to every business. And so you being in sales, you are always at the top of the food chain of every yeah. company. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Despite what some companies actually say. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, there's a few engineer-led companies, but primarily in sales, you are the top of the food chain. Absolutely. Hey, Jamie. Phenomenal conversation. For the people listening and they want to find more more information out, particularly on pipeline signals, where's the best place to uh, check that out? And where's the best place to connect with your good self? So pipeline signals, as it sounds.com, go to the website. 
Uh, we service all si shapes and sizes of organizations, but we are able to monitor and mine 100% of your total addressable market for relationship signals, port it right into your CRM, so your sellers have instant actionable insights uh, and sales opportunities. Connect with me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is yeah. my primary uh, personal CRM engagement tool. And I won't give I won't give out your mobile number because your mobile number is on your email. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And, well, you can text me uh, WhatsApp. I, I, so you mm. know, I'm in about a thousand WhatsApp groups. Oh, really? We have employees Bangladesh, Philippines, India, all around the world. Uh, you can WhatsApp me as well. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Hey, if there was one, if you got a sales leader or a salesperson listening into this right now, and that they know about this social selling, they know about the, the technology that's possibly available for them, but there's, there's a little bit of trepidation about giving away the old ways of doing things and moving into the, into the new world. If there was one piece of advice you could give somebody right now about embracing the new world of self, social selling, what would that be? Remember back to March of 2020, where you were forced by hand to flip a 180 most likely from your existing sales process and by april of 2020 you figured it out and you got over it mm -hmm. and for the next now two years you have hopefully grown your portfolio and um, created more ebitda and profit in the meantime because you changed the way you operated that is exponentially harder than is to take an analog sales process of only using phone and email and moving it towards the digital world of using video and LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. That is a much simpler set of skills and processes to learn, but it has the same sort of immense impact once you make that change. So you've already gone through way harder transformation. Yeah, absolutely. So I get over it. Just yeah, get on. <laughs> love it love it hey jamie thanks very much for spending the time and jumping on the podcast greatly appreciate it and um i reckon we should do this again sounds good invite me anytime awesome thanks jamie thanks a lot you take care Do mate you too thank you for listening to the exceptional sales letter podcast i trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it, but also if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.